Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And we're so excited about today's guest. She is probably one of our most requested guests. She is our favorite bookstagrammer. I don't want to like pick favorites, but you kind of are. And um, we're excited to chat with her. But first, this episode is sponsored by Night Pillow, our favorite pillow, which we literally could not sleep without. We'll tell you more about it later. But if you want one, you can take 20% off with code BOP20 at discovernight.com. So we're doing something we don't usually do. So we have Morgan from NYC Book Girl with us. And we're making her listen to us do our intro because she's a friend and we yeah. didn't have enough time before. Yeah. So we're here, but we're going to just talk about us. Yes. Becca, what's your high this week? Okay. My high is that I'm home for three weeks in a row and I'm so ready to hibernate. I am excited to do nothing. I can't wait. That's my high too. I'm not really doing nothing, but I um I'm just psyched to be here, to be in my routine. Like I love to travel, but I'm such a like creature of habit and I love like my daily yoga class and having a clean apartment and having everything be orderly. So it's really nice. I'm not going anywhere until September 5th when I have a work trip with Sephora. Otherwise, that's when I'm, I'm here. moving too. Yeah. Oh, we we have the same travel schedule. Same travel schedule. Yeah, no, I hung up my luggage rack. And by hung up, I mean folded. Yeah. And I'm staying here. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to sleep in my bed. Yes. Your new Ugh, king size bed. My big bed. It's great. I'm really excited. I feel... You, not that I dread traveling, but like when you have so much back-to-back traveling, you're like, uh, no yeah. more. And I'm like... You just feel really unsettled. Yeah. And I'm like, for the foreseeable future, I get to sleep in my bed. Love it. Very excited about that. What about on the low front? On the low front... I'm just raining in my calendar. I feel a little um, overwhelmed. Oh, my other high is that I am working on this tomorrow is I'm going to hire a part-time assistant. I just feel like super overwhelmed and like I can't get ahead of things. So I'm going to hire someone for like 15 to 20 hours a week just to help me do a lot of the administrative stuff and a lot of the grunt work that comes along with blogging. That's major. Yeah. Feeling like a boss. But let's complain. What about Lowe's? Just a lot of work. Wait, so what does it mean to rain in your calendar? Like You're literally no to more things? I'm saying no to like literally everything that doesn't pertain to money. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. I like that as a life philosophy for yeah. you. Yeah. I like the journey that you're on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like it's really nice when you don't have like all of your nights come in to work plans because then I can do more spontaneous things like we could be like, let's go see this movie or let's, I don't know, stay like, home and stay home. not talk to each other. Or maybe like actually go on a date, which is something I'm actively working on as well. Great. Yeah. I love this journey for you. Yeah. What about you? Okay. So I feel like I have complained about this nine zillion times. So I'm complaining about it, about it again, but I have the solution for it too. Okay. So this is a really productive round of blows. I have a solution to mine with the assistant. You have a solution to yours. Yes. So ever since I moved to Brooklyn, I have not been working out. Haven't found workout classes that I like here. Have not. I don't know. I just like have fallen out of the habit and I've been traveling so much that I just haven't had time. And like at some point I just decided that I was going to let this go and not beat myself up over it because I'm not a professional athlete. It doesn't really matter if I take a month off from working out. Yeah. So I literally did not work out once in July. But 
I signed up for ClassPass this week, and I have been an occasional ClassPass user for literally the past seven years. Yeah, we all had it back at Bobble Bar. And I keep doing it, and then I dip out of it, and then I try it again, and I dip out of it. But somebody told me that ClassPass is great for people who work for themselves, because if you go to a midday class, it's not as competitive, which is my big thing that it it stresses me out and they're actually right because i signed up and there were plenty of classes in the middle of the day so i'm I'm doing that so i have the solution to my complaining about working out and next week i have three workouts booked i'm ready to start next week but i'm just feeling a little um it's not even that i am feeling bad about my body it's just that i feel mentally more even keel when yeah. I am in a regular workout trend That's and I, how I feel, feel like I am missing that and I'm kind of just like that duck treading water where I'm like it really that's helps the noise. yeah that's a good noise so it's <laughs> a terrible it. noise such a bad noise so it's better than your Oprah voice we're gonna work out <laughs> I don't know why you hate that so much well, something I don't hate is, guys, we're coming for you. Have you got tickets to our live shows yet? We are coming to San Francisco, D.C., Philly, Atlanta, and Dallas. You can get more information at badonpaperpodcast.com backslash live. Please do us a favor and make me not feel like an insane duck and buy a ticket so we don't have to worry about sales. Yeah. Do it. I promise you we're going to have great guests. It's going to be a blast. Bring your group text. Bring all of your friends. They don't have to listen to the podcast. If you can't, if you don't have any friends, I mean, I'm sure everyone has friends, but you can also come alone. People make friends at our shows, which I love. Sorry, I was drinking wine. <laughs> um, come. You can do that at our show, too. You can drink wine at the show. Yeah. We're really excited. Badonpaperpodcast.com backslash live. Please buy tickets and come see us. But now, let's talk about our esteemed guest who brought us wine, brought us books, and um, sat through this whole introduction. Are you vying for favorite guest territory? Um, maybe. I'm just well, trying to be Tyrion's favorite by the end of this. I should have brought presents for him. <laughs> so frankly, I don't think that you have a shot there, but you're doing real well with the humans in the room. Yeah. You guys' brand is strong. I knew what to bring. So. Yeah. so we are so excited to have Morgan from NYC Book Girl with us today. Morgan is one of our favorite people to follow on Instagram, which is where we both found her because her account is all about books. So she's the one who introduced us to three women, which is our August book club pick that we're talking about next week. And she has great book suggestions. So besides being one of New York's most prominent bookstagrammers, Morgan also has a pretty cool job that we're going to talk about. She used to work in Broadway production, but she just moved over into publishing. So we have a lot to cover there. And when we polled you guys for questions, um, one of the most popular questions was how we became friends. So I guess, number one, welcome, Morgan. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Number two, should we just kick off and and tell the the history before we get into the all of the questions so many questions we had to cut some because you like i've we've, i don't know if we've ever gotten so many questions for a guest i'm so flattered seriously yeah people love you our venn diagram is is tight apparently yeah, yeah. i feel yeah. like we have a pretty a tight overlap. yeah yeah that group so as for friendship how we became friends do you want to take this one morgan sure 
Um, I actually found you, Grace, when I was looking for other people in the blogging world who read. Oh, and I didn't know this. Yeah. So I did like a I thought I found dive. you first. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I found you, but maybe it was reciprocal. Um, but I did a deep dive of bloggers, especially those who lived in New York who read and you were like the one person everybody followed. And I was like so seamless. I was like, I love her style. I love her reading style. I love her apartment. I want to. You're be her definitely going to be our favorite guest. Oh, wow. Keep complimenting. Okay. <laughs> um, and then I got hooked on the podcast, and then we became friends in real life as well. Yeah, I feel like we've been DMing for a while, so we all just went to Dear Irving one night, as one does, had some cocktails, and the rest was history. Yeah. And now we're here making podcast magic. Yeah. It's a New York love story. It is a New York love story. Okay. Where to start? So we always ask people about their jobs first. So give us the lay of the land. I want to hear about your career path. Wait, how old are you? 24. 24. I'm 25 in two weeks. I think you're our youngest guest too, which I like. Yeah, I think you're our youngest. Because we have a lot of listeners who are fresh out of college or kind of in their early career. And we can only talk about that retrospectively mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like i've done it but it's so long ago so i'm excited to hear yeah. i feel like i'm very much in the thick of that you're in the thick of it i want to hear yeah. all about it yeah so talk to us about your career path we had a lot of listeners who are really interested in your career trajectory and your life in broadway production mm-hmm. so maybe talk to us a little bit about what you majored in in college and then how you got your first job and then how you ended up at avid reader which is where you are now yeah So in college, I went to Duke in North Carolina, and I majored in English and theater. Um, And I was also part of the college musical theater group, which was called Hoof and Horn. And it was totally student run. And it's where I met all of my closest friends, my two roommates in the city. Um, It was really important to me. And so when I graduated, I knew I wanted to work in theater, but I graduated without a job, which coming out of Duke is quite unusual because everyone is in investment banking or consulting or going to grad school and they know what they're going to do in like September of the beginning of senior year. And instead, I moved to New York unemployed, um, but I had roommates and my parents are right here in the city. So I was like, okay. I can make this happen. I took every informational interview that had ever come my way, just like emailed and contacted anyone I'd ever known who'd worked in theater. And I got to the final rounds of interviewing for a job that was theater adjacent, but in a different performing arts sphere. Didn't get that one. Um, But a few months later, the girl who had done the first round interview of that job, who I stayed in touch with, came back and was like, I heard of this job posting. They're doing it by word of mouth. It seems right up your alley. Um, and it was for my boss, who I worked for for two and a half years. Her name's Jill Furman. She's a Broadway producer. She's one of the producers of Hamilton. You may have heard of it. Um, she's the coolest. There are not very many women who make it, who have made it that far in that part of the industry. And she is extremely humble, but extremely passionate and really intelligent. And I learned a lot working from her for two, working for her for two and a half years. Um, and it was just the two of us in the company. So I got just unprecedented access to everything she was working on. She let me come to any meetings I wanted to, answered any questions. Um, but it was a lot of hurry up and wait, as most assistant jobs can be. 
And I felt like I needed a side project outside of work that was like all mine creatively, which is how NYC Book Girl started. So about a year into my job, I started blogging and taking photos of the books that I was reading and posting about them on Instagram. And it quickly like tumbled into the thing that is now, which is more of a business than I ever anticipated it to be. Wait, so how long have you had your bookstagram? Two years. Oh my God. It's so big for two years. Thanks. That's great. Yeah. And you're verified. I know. That was a crazy moment that like still brings a little joy to my heart. But um, yeah, so it it went really quickly and it it went from like just me posting cell phone photos to getting a camera and really learning what I was doing when it came to editing and and maximizing my engagement and things like that, finding partners that I really wanted to work with. Um, And so it was through NYC Book Girl that I was first contacted by Avid Reader Press, which is where I work now, which is an imprint of Simon & Schuster. Um, And for anyone who doesn't know, an imprint is a smaller brand within a larger publishing house. Um, So we do all of our own like editorial, publicity, and marketing. And then we work with SNS on the whole to do sales and things like that. Just like on Younger. Yes, just like on Younger. (laughs) Um, That's really my only frame of reference. Same. (laughs) Which is a great frame of reference because I think it kind of introduced the word imprint in a way that like pop culture did not know about it beforehand. We're um, such great hosts. We were we we had Lauren Duca on last week, and we were like, "So, is your jo- was your job like the bold type?" <laughs> we're just here to compare people's and jobs to pop culture. Yeah. yeah, of which I'm so happy for. One of my friends was asking one of my roommates about my job, and my roommate was like, "You should just watch Younger. You'll understand afterwards," which is like true and not true. <laughs> so, are you are you on? Are you Diana's- the Liza? Are you the Diana? I'm. In between Liza and Diana. So I'm not the marketing assistant, but I'm the associate marketing manager. Um, That was actually a very helpful way to figure out what you are. Yeah. Yeah. And our department is obviously structured differently than it is on Younger because everyone seems to work on absolutely everything on that show. Yeah. They all go to every meeting. Yeah. (laughs) They travel everywhere together. No wonder that publishing house went bankrupt. Yeah. The assistants go on trips. I know. And everything changes so quickly. It's like one day somebody's in charge. The next day someone else is in charge. The next day it's back to the other person. Yeah. Yeah. There's not that much fluctuation. So through NYC Book Girl, my now boss contacted me at first just about three women saying that it was their first book and would I like to read it? And this was like last winter. I didn't winter. know it was their first book. Yeah. So that was the book that launched the imprint. And Lisa Tadeo, the author, and her editor, who's our publisher, had been working on the book for eight years. But when he moved to start Avid, um, the book moved with them. So uh. it was technically our first title. Um yeah. So, and I read three women and I loved it. And that was when I recommended it to you guys. Um, mm-hmm. and just was totally hooked on it. And then a few months later, my boss came back to me and was like, I'm hiring for this position. I have no idea if you'd be interested, but like, let's talk. And we got coffee. And then I met the larger team, um, our two editors at the time. We have a third editor now. And I just like was completely smitten with what they wanted to do, what they wanted the position to be, how they wanted to use social media and digital marketing to create their brand online, um, how much control they were going to allow me to have over it, and how like creative it was going to get to be. And I hadn't necessarily been thinking about leaving theater at the time, but when this came along, it just seemed too perfect to not take it. Um, and I jumped at the chance and here I am. That's such a great story. I love that. So I mostly want to talk about your new job, but I have one question adjacent to your old job. 
what should we be seeing on Broadway right now? Okay. So I made a list because I didn't want to forget anything. I'm actually really mad because there's two things that I wanted to see. So I want, I really wanted to see what the constitution means to me, which closes the the 24th. Yeah. So that's the top of my list. If there's any way you can go in the like three days after this next Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. If there's any way you can go in the three days after this podcast comes out, like jump at the chance. I've seen it twice. It's so good. Oh, maybe I'll try to go next week. You should try to go. And then I wanted to see prom. Let's try and go over one of the, over the weekend. Yeah. I know we, well, we'll talk. Yeah. About it. we'll talk. It's one act. It's brief, but it is so impactful. And the story she's telling is so smart. And it's about to go on tour after the Broadway oh, production it's going closes on tour. with a different actress. So it won't have Heidi Shrek who wrote it in it. Um, but I'm sure it will still be just as powerful. So yeah, if you have okay. the chance to see it, see it. Okay. 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 My other recs are if you haven't seen Come From Away, you have to see. Oh, Come it's from so Away. cute. It's so cute. I love I that one. I haven't seen Come okay. From Away. It's a musical about a town in Canada where on 9 11, when the American airspace was closed, they grounded 38 planes. And this town that had a population of 9,000 took in 7,000 passengers and plane staff for five days. So it's this beautiful story because it's such a tragic time, but from it came this like light and community and friendship and kindness and just like an opening of doors and it's funny and it will make you laugh and it'll make you cry. And it just like rolls right on through the hundred minute long one act musical. And it's so good. So you have to see that one. I I second that. I'm taking notes. Yeah. Yeah. And then my third rec opens this fall on Broadway and it's called Freestyle of Supreme. And full disclosure, I worked on it with my old boss before I left, but we did the off-Broadway transfer. It is an improv rap group that Lynn Manuel Miranda and his friends from college founded back in the early 2000s. Oh, wow. And it has been in like many versions of itself over the past few years. There was a TV show. There have been off-Broadway productions. Um, but most recently with Lynn's fame and Pulitzer Prize winningness, it has come to light and is finally getting its chance on Broadway. And it's a rotating cast of these incredible rappers and including like some celebrity spots every night. So Lynn's in some of the shows, David Diggs of the original Hamilton cast and Chris Jackson do some of the shows. It's so good and the talent of being able to take a suggestion from the audience and turn it into a freestyle rap that's like hilarious and meaningful and do that kind of thing for an hour and a half it's so crazy so is this like whose line is it anyway it is but like the musical rap version of that love that yeah it's so good um so everyone should brace out to see it i loved working on it and saw it multiple times when it was off broadway for five weeks last winter um and you've got to go Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's quite the list. Thank yeah. you. They're very different. Everything yeah. on that list is so different. So, have you seen Six yet? No, I have not. But I'm obsessed with that right now. I know. I heard you talking about it. It I, sounds so good. It's coming. It, I don't know when it's coming to New York, though. It's coming to Broadway in, I want to say February. It's oh, in okay. the winter. Yeah, yeah, it's in Chicago and Boston right now. I know. I have a friend who just saw it in Chicago. It's so good. Okay. Well, I have to get my hands on that when it gets here. I know. So, we're going to switch gears. We yes. want to talk all about publishing. So yes. many of the questions that we got had to do with that. So you already really touched on how you got the job mm-hmm. and how you got into publishing. But we got a lot of questions from people who said, does she have any advice or tips for someone who who wants to get into publishing or wants to switch careers and go into that industry? Yeah. Um, I have a few tips for sure. I'm still figuring it out myself as I'm new to the industry. But 
definitely if there's anyone in your life who you can reach out to to talk about the industry, it's a big networking game. So you're going to get so many DMs now. I'm not the person to reach out to, but sending emails to anyone you know, um, if your college has like an online directory of alumni and where they are now, look for alumni who are in the publishing world and send them an email and say, hey, I'm interested in your career and how you got there. Could I buy you coffee? for 15 minutes or 30 minutes, make it as easy for them as possible. Um, Or could I jump on the phone for 15 minutes, anything like that, that will let you get a look into their world, remind them of your name and who you are, um, but also will make it as simple for them. So they'll want to help you. So that's my first tip. The second is to start understanding the industry from whatever side of it you want to be on. So if it's you're interested in marketing, then start following all the different social channels of publishers that you're interested in, see what they're posting, see what kind of things they're interacting with. If it's publicity, pick a publisher and follow the publicity campaigns of a book they have coming out. Or if it's editorial, like start reading books by one editor and see if you can catch the things that are similar, kind of create like a way to research the industry for yourself. And then you can create like, I love what you guys said on your career episode about brag books that was a grace term yeah um but like create like your own mini version of a publishing brag book that's like your version of projects like that something you can show to somebody because oftentimes when you get through the interview process they'll be like i'd love to see how you write about books so if you tried to write a pitch or something like that having examples of your own work to send into people is really helpful that's a great actionable advice thank you well so i think The other thing that we already touched on is that we don't actually know what it's like to work in publishing outside of younger. But I think it's so hard with some of these jobs. And I know when we used to work in fashion, there was this um, like job a million girls would kill for syndrome from like the Devil Wears Prada, where it was like, everyone's like, I want to do that. But nobody actually knows what it entails. And a lot of times it's not that glamorous. Um, But can you talk us through a day in your life? What did you do today? Yeah. You came from work. It's different a little bit every day. And we joke about it not being glamorous all of the time. Um, anytime we're doing mailings of books, those jokes come up for sure. Um, but what did I do Not today? to say that your job no. isn't glamorous, but... Parts of it can be. But I feel like it's publishing, fashion, like these things yeah. get romanticized and everyone's 100%. like, I want to work in this. And it's like, do you? Yeah. yeah. Um, what well, you saw my job description for the assistant. I know, and, and I loved, we laughed but about I loved that. how honest it was because yeah. I think that, especially when you get that job that a million girls want or everyone's dying to have, you have to not rest on the laurels of having that job. You have to then like really dig in and do the work in order to move up in that kind of industry. So that mentality can be so dangerous, um, which is what I loved about Grace's job posting was that it was so honest about like the kind of work that you're looking to have. Um, okay. But what I did today, today I got to the office and I tried to clear some emails out of my inbox. So we're working on some graphics for books that we're publishing in the future. We're publishing, our next book is an oral history about 9-11 called The Only Plane in the Sky. Um, it's really beautifully crafted, extremely tragic subject matter, but a very interesting way to experience that day again. And it comes out September 10th. Um, so we were working on graphics for the Amazon page for that. We're working on things that will go out to booksellers. We do mailings to indie booksellers across the country, um, to get their attention when it comes to books that we feel extremely passionate about, which Garrett's book is definitely one of them. Um, 
So I worked on materials for that. I did our social posts for the day. Um, so I run all of Avid social channels. So I'm the person behind the Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And so I worked on our Instagram posts. I worked on some tweets. Um, I oftentimes will just like search hashtag free women and spend 20 minutes seeing what comes up, um, which is fun because then you'll find things that like we weren't even alerted to. There was a tweet from Qantas Airlines that interesting. Yeah, <laughs> they had a list of 20 books to read on your next flight, and Three Women was one of them. Do you want to know my favorite Three Women thing that I got tagged in? Absolutely. Um, last night, somebody uh, tagged me, and they were at Bar Trivia. And three women was one of the answers. And they were like, I know this because of that on paper podcast. Oh, yeah. I'm I saw that too. That. I don't know. Amazing. She didn't say what the question was. So yeah. I don't know. What, but like, they got it right. Contemporary bar trivia that is too. Seriously. Very like a month. In very like, yeah. 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 I'm impressed by that. Um, yeah. And it's uh, the publishing world is kind of quiet at the end of August. So a lot of people were out either on like corporate retreats or out on vacation today. Um, so it was like mostly the marketing and publicity side of the hallway that was all there, which is fun because those women on my team are just so cool and I love working with them. Um, but yeah, we discussed like we're still brainstorming people that we'd love to work with in the future, which is a fun thing to get to do as a new imprint. So I was talking about that with one of my friends. Um, yeah, I feel like that was what the bulk of my day was. I'm preparing for some more three women stuff we have gearing up in September um, and looking ahead towards the future as well. We have some cool books coming out this fall. I put together a list of like influencers that I thought would be interested in one of our books, which is fun because sometimes we get to think outside of the like bookstagram world into who are the other people who would enjoy this book and do they have social presences. Um, so that's like a little bit of like creativity involved in the job as well. Wait, I didn't want to interrupt you, yeah. but I have a question about something we talked about with, um, do you know Sarah from Sarah's Bookshelves? Yeah. So she was talking about indie booksellers, and this is why I thought of it, and the tables when you go in. Yeah. And she said, you know, a lot of times those tables are paid for. Is that a thing? Like, how does that work? I've never heard of that before, actually. But okay. it totally she was like, makes it, sense to me. She said it was called co-op, which makes sense because when I was in the beauty industry, we had a totally different kind of co-op, which was like those leaflets that came in the newspaper. And we did co-op ads with our different beauty partners. Okay. I'm going to ask tomorrow at work and I'll get back to you guys. Also, one of my roommates is a bookstore manager here in New York. He works at Book Culture Aww. Uptown. So I'll ask him. I don't think that I've ever seen anything like that in their store, but I'll ask him. Like, it kind of made me happy that indie bookstores have another way to monetize because I feel like it's so hard to be a independent bookseller right now. I know. But it made me sad because at the same time, I love going into a bookstore and browsing the front table of, you yeah. know, what's new or recommendations or things like that. And I yeah. hate to think that that's merchandised and isn't truly yeah. representative of I had mixed feelings. The bookstores. Yeah. yeah. But I was kind of happy for them, too. It was like, eh, but good for them. Yeah. 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 I'm going to do some research. I'll get back to you on that. Okay. Okay. We'll give the answer on Instagram. Cool. Yeah. I'll sleuth. Yeah. Yeah. What about, so we have, you've given such good advice already. We have two other questions. Yeah. So one reader, we have way more than two questions. We have two questions on this topic. <laughs> yeah. Um, one reader had a question about, um, she said, I want to read more books from authors of color. How mm -hmm. do we give more access to publishing 
for people of color yeah. and as consumers, what can we do? And I thought I, that was really interesting. That's a great question. And there is a great answer to that question. Please. So um, there's a thing in the publishing industry called comp titles. So when you are acquiring a book or starting to put a book out into the sales world, you give comp titles, which are like titles that it is similar to. And you give the numbers of how that title sold. Okay. So people will expect it to sell like these three other books that it is like. Um, and pre-orders are like weighted really heavily in that as well. So if you're excited about a book by an author of color, buy it, buy it in, especially an indie bookstore if you can and pre-order it. And that is the best way to boost the ability for them to give more of those slots. Because if the numbers for that comp title, like if that becomes the comp title for something else and the numbers are high on sales, then they'll be like, Oh, that book sell- sold excellently. And it was an author of like X persona, we can acquire more books by authors like that. And so you said to buy it from an indie bookseller. Is yeah. that a personal preference or does it count well, differently to buy it from Amazon or Barnes and Noble versus It's a personal culture? preference. Um, frequently, you're buying it closer to list price. So it will like raise the gross of the book um, okay. or so I've come to learn. Also, the way that book sales are ranked by the New York Times is like a little nuanced. So it's not necessarily just like a one-to-one ratio. No, I don't know exactly how it works. So do not take my word as the gospel on this. But I think that if you buy it from an indie bookseller, it might have a higher chance of affecting that number. Morgan, I'm learning this so is much. So interesting. I know. But so there's a great Instagram account called Absorbed in Pages. Um, her name's Jamie, and she's an amazing representative. Um of the bookstagram world at large. And she has a highlight all about comp titles and how they work and how you can support authors of color by buying books like this. Um, so would highly recommend checking her out. And if you're interested in learning more about comp titles, check it out there. Say her handle that. again. It's absorbed in pages. Oh, I can't find it, but I'm going to, um, I think that's it. Hold on. I'm gonna double check. So along those lines, yeah, do you have any tips for new authors who are trying to get published? Yes. Um, if you're a new author and you're trying to get published, you got to get an agent. <laughs> it's like just that simple. There are probably other ways around it, but at least from our perspective, we work with authors who are represented by agents. Um, the, there are a couple ways to catch an agent's attention, and I'm not super well-versed in all of them, but being published in a, another publication is a way to get agent's attention. So creating short stories and submitting them to literary magazines is one way to say like, Hey, look, I was published in something else. Pay attention to me. Um, and then that can go in a cover letter of work you're sending to an agent. Another good way to go about finding agents to start like submitting your work to is to look at books that you love and that your work is similar to and figure out who their agents are. Oftentimes they're thanked in the acknowledgments. Um, sometimes you'll be able to find that information online, but trying to create a list of agents who work with people like what you create, because oftentimes they are acquiring like the same kinds of authors. Like there'll be somebody really well-versed in fantasy or someone really well-versed in romance, that kind of thing. So that's my suggestion. And then go through your agent into the publishing world. Morgan, are you sure you're only 24? Like you've given some of the most insightful advice that we've had. I am like deeply curious about how all of these things work. So even as someone who is like not looking for an agent and not looking to be published, I asked a ton of questions on it last year when I had a moment of like, I need to go down a rabbit hole and figure out how this works. So I'm just imparting what I learned from my rabbit hole to you all. 
Well, we want to talk about things you've read and recommend, but first we're going to take a quick sponsor break. Yes. So let's talk more about Night Pillow. I could talk about Night Pillow all day. (laughs) I've been sleeping with mine for four years, long before they became a sponsor, long before I even worked with them on my blog. So I've had a lot of time to test it out, and I'm obsessed. I have two. So the Night Pillow has been called the most comfortable pillow in the world by celebs and influencers. Grace, I think you're... You're definitely one of the people who said that. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of the celebs. Okay, I'm an influencer. So if you haven't heard of it before, it's a memory foam pillow with a silk case. So on the pillow front, the pillow cushions your head and it doesn't turn into a pancake halfway through the night, which I think is pretty major. And then the silk case has really serious benefits for your skin and your hair. So we've been talking about this pillow for a while And the number one question we get is, is it worth the money? And I get it. It's $150. But honestly, like you spend a third of your life asleep. Well, I guess if you sleep eight hours. So it's an important investment. You use it every single day. So we put the call out on our Instagram story for night pillow converts. And there were a lot of them. But this one was one of my favorites. Here's what she said. Okay. So I was super hesitant spending so much money on a pillow, but after many sleepless nights and the worst insomnia I've had in a while, I finally used your code and bought the pillow. I track my sleep every night and I've gone from getting 40 to 60% quality sleeps to literally 95 to 100% quality sleeps every night. I was hoping it was a hoax and I can honestly say it's one of the best investments of my life. Literally, how did I go so long without it? Oh, my God. We should just have our listeners write all of our ads for us. Seriously, don't take our word for it. Take hers. So if you're not convinced, I don't know what's going to convince you. But I will tell you that you can buy the pillow and sleep on it for 100 nights and return it if you don't love it. So it's decently risk-free. So if you are ready to try the night pillow for yourself, go to discovernight.com to learn about night pillow and take 20% off using code BOP20 at checkout. So again, that's 20% off your order at discovernight.com with promo code BOP20. So let's get back to Morgan. I'm going to get a night pillow now. I've heard these ads for so long. I'm pretty convinced. Get it if you don't love it. You can return it, but you're going to love it. You're going to really love it. Okay, so one of the questions that everyone asked, which like is not everyone, but a lot of people asked, which I found very funny was, what is the secret to getting ARCs? And an ARC, in case you're wondering, stands for Advanced Reader Copy. Can you walk us through how this works from the publishing side? Like, how many ARCs and when do they go out? And then you can tell us the answer to this, because I'm curious um, about the first part, too. Yes. The answer to that is different for every book. Oh, okay. Um, Oftentimes, it's easier to send finished copies. They, like, don't... We don't have to necessarily decide how many finished copies we need in advance, whereas an ARC needs to be decided upon how many are going to be created. Um, and a and lot is of an arc just a first run of a book or is it generally different in some way? It's like before it's finally edited or different. Um, I've seen different covers before. Yes. So things can change, especially for books that like have more moving variables. Like I think more often it's nonfiction that changes than fiction. Um, cause I feel like fiction is like normally once the story is done, it's done. Whereas nonfiction might be affected by something moving around in the world, though there is an author who 
was at one of her book events, like looking at some of my friends who had arcs and saying there are three major differences and you should go buy the finished copy. And my friends were like, maybe sold. not. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. They weren't sold that the differences would have been as severe. Oh, okay. So, um, so arcs are also made to be sent to reporters. Publicity always does a big mailing of arcs. Um, they're often made to be sent to independent bookstores or librarians and then also the influencer community. So as well as like friends and family of the author, the author will get a box, that kind of thing. Um, so it, it depends on like the other sizes of mailings as to how many arcs there are left for like my side of things. Um, unless it's a book where it's like, I know exactly how many I'm going to want or to need. And then it's all like that kind of discussion. Um, and with three women, we ended up having arcs left over. So I just requested them from the warehouse and was able to send out more. Um, but so that's like a piece of the puzzle. And different books need different mailings of that sort. A lot of our books coming up are nonfiction, which don't like obviously fit into the bookstagram community. So they have less of a system and different publishers do it in different ways. Some will do like mailing lists of you're on their email list and they send out an entire list of the titles they have coming up and you can request a certain number. Others will reach out to you or you can reach out to them. Um, Some will do an email where they're like, these are our picks this month. Let us know what you want. Things like that. So that's how it works from the publishing side of things. Okay. So how does um, it work from the getting one side yes. of things? Okay. <laughs> Here is my best advice. It is to create relationships with publishers on social media using the books you already have or books you're getting from the library or books you're buying. Like you can't just reach out and expect them to say, yes, of course, have a book person. I don't know who <laughs> Here's you are. Here's a free are. book. Yeah. You have a hundred followers. Um, exactly. So you need to create both like um, a sense of engagement of people who are looking at your recommendations and acting upon them. But also you need to like be tagging the publishers in your posts and consistently showing them that you're there to support their industry as well. And that's when they'll start to notice you and start to want to engage with you. Um, with Three Women, it's been fun. There have been like total champions of the book who bought it themselves. And it's so cool to see how that comes to be. And then those are people that I remember in the back of my head of like, oh, so-and-so was so awesome to work with on Three Women. I'm going to remember them in the future if we have something that seems like it's up their alley. Um, But yeah, so that's how I started in the first place. I just started posting about books that I was reading naturally and then created friendships with those publishers on social media. I responded to their stories. They started following me. It's all real people behind the accounts. Like you have to remember that it's not like an arc serving robot who just like passes them out willy nilly. Yeah. So what about NetGalley? So for people who don't know, NetGalley is an online network basically where you can go in and you can create a profile and you can request arcs and the arcs are digital copies so maybe less scarce than yeah uh, like a printed copy i have a confession i've never used netgalley from either either side of the business oh so you're not gonna know the answer to my question no because i was gonna say and becca has it i do have it and you got it when you had like way less followers than you have now Mm -hmm. you just applied but what i was gonna say is that think there might be and we'll have to find somebody who can answer yeah. this question um another way by by providing reviews on good, good reads yeah in advance and helping to drive ratings for the book yeah that you can also get copies so if you're like a power reviewer on goodreads you don't necessarily have to be an influencer but i don't no, know but that's also a kind of influencer like that's a social media network we pay attention to so if you're writing to a publisher to pitch yourself as 
a reviewer and asking for a copy of a book, um, you should always include the stats of your social media. But if like your so- most active reviewing social media is Goodreads and you've reviewed like X number of books in the past year, put that first. Say that that's who you are and like that's where you come from because that will catch our attention for sure. Okay. So it's not that you have to have an Instagram following no. necessarily. You can be on Twitter. You can be on Facebook as long as you're an influential reader in some way. Mm-hmm. That's what matters. And like talk yourself up. Make yourself seem as influential as you are. Don't like hide your light under a bushel when you're asking for a book. Okay. I have another question yeah. that's not in the outline. Um, how much impact does Bookstagram have on sales these days? And I'm asking because one really interesting thing that happened while I was at Lola is that we really found that there was such consolidated power in the recommendation of some blogs. So for example, getting coverage on Cup of Joe. I was just about to use Cup of Joe as an example. Drives way more traffic and like has way more power than getting a Vogue article or, you know, any more traditional placement. And I just I was curious, like when you're thinking about a book launch, how much weight does Bookstagram have on it versus more traditional outlets. Right. It completely depends on the book because some books like more nonfiction books are really publicity driven and it matters that they're on the right talk shows and speaking on NPR and like being featured in the right newspapers. Whereas other books have that like social media word of mouth power to them. It's also really hard to measure because we're not always able to see where the sales come from. So we're kind of trying to pinpoint like, okay, at 4 p.m. on this day, this cup of Joe article went up and sales went crazy. But also on this day, the celebrity posted about the book on Instagram. So like you can't necessarily tell which piece of the puzzle it was. But you can like kind of gauge based on where your sales fell at what points in the day. Um, but it, it's kind of like a nuanced structure more than just like an algorithm you can pop it into. Yeah. And it's different for every book. Um, and there are some books that like maybe would have never had a chance, but they get picked up by Bookstagram and then they go wild, yeah. which is my favorite thing to see because I like the power of social media being like positive to raise an author's life up. Like what's an example? That's a great question. The idea of you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, the idea of you for sure. Um, A book I would think about on like a smaller scale. I'm not actually sure how it did sales wise because it came out last summer and I wasn't fully paying attention to that. But the book of Essie by Megan McLean Mm -hmm. Weir, which I loved, um, came out last summer and was a book of the month book. And I feel like I had not heard of it at all until I heard of it absolutely everywhere and wanted a piece of it and read it and totally enjoyed it. Um, But that was a book where like I didn't have any advance notice that it was coming into my life until I saw it on every bookstagram account that I follow. Interesting. Yeah. And then passed it along to like everybody in my life as well. Interesting. Well, tell us what titles are you most excited for this fall and winter? And I told you before we started recording that last night I was going through the Goodreads new releases for... October, November, December, and trying to figure out what might be options for our book club. And I wasn't excited about anything. And I think that speaks to my attitude more than it speaks to the quality of books coming out. So I want you to rev me up. Okay. There are three that I'm really excited for, one of which I've already started. I'm here to take notes. I'm ready. Okay. So um, the first one that I'm really excited for came out yesterday. So I don't know if that counts as fall, but it's on the top of my read list. It's called The Yellow House by Sarah M. Broom. It's a memoir. Um, and it's about the house that she grew up in in New Orleans. And it's supposed to be completely amazing. It's really critically acclaimed so far. Um, and I think it's already a bestseller. 
Yeah, in the past day. My godmother, who is the coolest woman in the whole wide world, she's a music editor for films, she recommended it to me about a month ago, got her hands on an advanced copy somehow and was like, this is the thing. Um, so I'm definitely really excited for that one. Well, it's in my cart. Yeah, Great. same keep, with me. Keep going. Um, okay, so that's number one. Number two is The Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern. She wrote The Night oh, Circus. when does that come out? November. I'm pretty sure. Um, anyway. The and night- I saw this on your Instagram. Yeah, November I've 5th. been talking about it like crazy. Well, so The Night Circus came out in 2011, and I went nuts for it. Like, It's I, one of my favorite books. It's so good. I read it every year. Jim Dale narrates the audiobook, so sometimes I listen to it. I as my Jim like, Dale is. Oh, he narrates all the Harry Potter audiobooks. Oh, okay. Um, he's like, I feel like a preeminent audiobook narrator, but if you're not an audiobook person, then you would never come across him. But um, I actually found him narrating the audiobook because I was so, I am addicted to Harry Potter and I was Googling other books that he narrates and I was like, oh my God, he narrates one of my favorite books. But Erin Morgenstern wrote this book in 2011 and I have waited for eight years for her to publish something else and finally it's happening and I read half of it and it is completely beautiful. Wait, why did you only read half? Because I felt like I was like going through it too quickly and I didn't want it to be over too fast. Um, so I slowed myself down. Okay. That's in my car um, too. But it's like totally a book for book lovers. It has like that magical aspect that the Night Circus has, but even more so it's set in a world of books. So if you're a book person who likes books about books you'll love this book i love books about books you're doing it for me yeah it's really it's really wonderful she's the kind of writer who like makes me sad that she creates magic that doesn't like exist in the world that we live in Mm -hmm. because it's so beautiful um so those are those two and then the third one that i'm excited for just because i love her as a writer is ann patchett is publishing another novel and it's called the dutch house and it comes out i think in september um and i think it is a bit heavier in subject matter September 24th. Um, yes. Uh, but she is the author of Bel Canto, which is one of my favorite books of all time. And that's another one that I go back to to reread frequently. Um, and I think that she just has like such a mastery of prose. And I'm really excited to read this one as well. Well, okay. Morgan, my card is full. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. You guys are welcome. But I need to know, where do you get your recommendations from? Because I feel like I get a lot of my recommendations from you. You're an early recommender. So like, where are you finding out about yeah. these things? That's a great question. Um, I listen to a bunch of bookish podcasts, including okay. Bad on Paper, obviously. Um, but I listen to all the books by Book Riot and the New York Times Book Review podcast. And I love both of those. Um, I also follow a ton of bookstagram accounts. I am influenced very easily. And one of my best friends, Amy Joe, runs an account called Literary Joe. I love her. You told us about I her. Know, and her account's so beautiful. And she and I read exactly the same. Like we love the same books. I think that's important that you need to find people with your same reading taste exactly. where I know that if Ashley Spivey likes something, I will like You're it. You're going to like it. Yeah. Like yeah. there are certain people that I follow where I feel very secure that their recommendation means that not just it's something that's buzzy or you know it's like it's something that I personally will like exactly and I'm really influenced by when people come up to me and say like this book was the most meaningful book I've read all year or like it made me have like x and x emotions like I care way more about how people say a book made them feel than I care about the subject matter of the book um so if someone comes and like gushes to me about a book I'm probably gonna pick it up no matter who the gusher was, unless it's somebody who I've been proven to dislike their taste. But okay, so Amy Joe, whose yeah. Instagram handles literary Joe. Mm-hmm. Can I get like another two? Can you round out a top three of bookstagrammers that you love? So the two other 
bookstagram accounts that I will take pretty much all of their recommendations. Annabelle of In the Book Corner, who also works at Simon & Schuster. She works in a different imprint than me. She works for Gallery Books. But she and I also feel like I read really similarly to her. She loves novels. She's big into like contemporary and literary fiction. Um, And I take really seriously what she recommends as being great. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so she's definitely one of them. And then the other is Tim of booked by Tim. He's also, I don't know him. Oh, he's, his account is beautiful. You guys will love the aesthetic. Booked by Tim. Booked by Tim. I'm not joking, Morgan. I have so many tabs open right now. I'm like, gotta follow all these people. Gotta read these books. It's so wonderful. He lives in Brooklyn, um, and just like has the most picturesque feed. I feel. Oh, it's it's beautiful. Really beautiful. Beautiful. And when he gets obsessed with a book, he gets really obsessed with the book. So he did this thing last year Ooh, where he also he did, wears makeup. He's I know. wearing like this smoky his eye. eye makeup makes me wish I could do my makeup better. I was going to say, I think he does his eye makeup better than I For do. For sure. Oh, 100%. He also probably does his nails better than I do them. But um, it's great. I love yeah. these polka dotted socks. I took that wearing. picture, the one with the polka dotted socks. Oh, it's a great yeah. photo. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but yeah, so he did this thing last year where he did his top five books of 2018. And after the end of it, I wanted to read every single book I hadn't read before. He just like sells them hard. So oh, I'm like here him. to be sold to. I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. So those are the accounts that I go to for sure. Okay. So okay. We, we talked about forward looking books. Mm-hmm. What about the past? What about this past year? What are your yeah. favorite three books from the past year? That is, it's if you hard. asked me, I'd have a hard time. Well, Morgan actually, took notes. She had, I, I thought about it in advance. You're so prepared. Well, you and Blair Edie are, I think, our most prepared guests. Um, I'm so happy to be in Blair's category. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she has her life just totally together. Um, but I feel like I've loved so many books this year that if I didn't think about this in advance, I would just kind of sit here and blubber about like everything that I'd read over yeah. the past eight months. Um, so to leave out three women, cause I feel like it's obvious how much I loved reading three women. My top three books of the year are Becoming by Michelle Obama. This memoir yes. lives up to everything you want it to be. She's so wise and so wonderful. And you get so much of like herself as a person and as a businesswoman in a way that like, I feel like she's my friend after reading yes. that. Yeah. I fell asleep while reading it and like had dreams that I knew her. Oh my God. What good dreams. I know. Second, I was really upset when I woke up. About a quarter of it. <laughs> it's okay. I was just curious. I know we talked it's about it. It's not because it. I just liked yeah. it. I just generally, I have a really hard time sticking with nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a testament to how much I loved Three Women that I just was riveted. Because usually, no matter how good it is, and I agree that Michelle Obama's book is really wonderful, I just at some point... I have the best intentions and I put it down and I never pick it back up again. I do that with fiction too. I like sometimes will put something aside and completely forget about it and then come back to it. Or maybe not. We'll see. Um, There are at least like eight books in my room right now that I'm planning to come back to that have been there for like all of mine months. are nonfiction. I have Save Me the Plums on my nightstand, which I also oh, really loved. I to read that too because you raved about it I've so been, much. Yeah. And I loved it. I read half of it and I loved it. And I just, for whatever reason, when I want to read something, I would rather pick up a new fiction book mm-hmm. than finish reading a nonfiction book. I'm the same way. I have a lot of Roxanne Gay's books and they're all on my nightstand and they're all halfway read. And I love her and I think she's so inspiring. But for whatever reason, they're also really, really hard yeah. to read because they're pretty emotional. You have to be in the right state. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Three Women, Save Me the Plums and Becoming all were kind of exceptions to that rule yeah. for me. I feel like 
I haven't read Saving the Plums yet, but I'm going to on Grace's Rack. But I feel like Three Women and Becoming kind of sweep you in in the way that fiction sweeps you in, mm-hmm. um, which is something unique about both of them. But yeah, Becoming's definitely on my list. Uh, Normal People, fully on my list. Yep. I loved yep. it so much. I read the entire thing in one day. Couldn't put it down. Like, told myself I would put it down, came home, had tons of people in our apartment, and ignored them all and, like, sat in the corner and continued to read. Um, But I just love that idea, and I love that, like, relationship that spans time and is imperfect and people grow, and I'm totally into that one. And then... um, Oh, my third one is Fleischman is in Trouble, which I know that you had positive to mixed feelings about. Mostly positive. Yeah. Um, but I loved it so much. That was another one where I just like was completely sucked in by it. And I love a New York novel, which this one like so deeply is. Yeah. And I like a book where an author has you like thinking that things are one way and then maybe they're another way, but maybe they're not. And like maybe life is more nuanced than you thought it was. And I think that she does that really well in that book, but also it's like very funny. And I laughed a lot when I was reading it. So those are my three so far. Okay. Of today. Maybe they change tomorrow. We we have some more rec questions yeah. because I just want all of your recs. I just want to spend all of my money on the books you recommend. Um, somebody asked, what should somebody read next if they can't stop thinking about three women? Yeah. And it's our book club book for this month. So I feel like there's a lot of people in our camp that are in this boat. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny that Grace mentioned Roxanne Gay because when I was thinking about this question, I was thinking about like other pieces of nonfiction that are unput downable as like that category of like what three women is that's so powerful. And Elaine Welteroth's memoir, More Than Enough, she was the editor in chief of Teen Vogue um, and has held some very cool positions over the years in both the beauty world and now in the entertainment world. Her memoir is so good. And I, I have, we have that. Lydia Hurt sent us. Yeah. This. I haven't read it. Um, I haven't. And either. Lydia went on tour with her, which I'm so jealous of because that must have been so fun. But she is just the coolest person. And it's another one where like it's the whole roller coaster of emotions. Like it'll make you laugh. It made me cry on the bus just like from pure happiness at the end of it. But it's a very good memoir. Um, and then Roxanne Gay also falls into that category for me of fiction of nonfiction that's totally unput downable and hunger, which is an extremely serious book and a memoir of hers. That's the one I just can't get through. I know it's such a good book. I just yeah. I, I I I read a chapter and then I get upset right. and then I put it down. Yeah, you have to give it to yourself in the time where you're ready to read it because it is extremely difficult in subject matter, but it is one of the books I've learned the most from. Um, which is another thing I felt about Three Women was I felt like I learned about the experience of people who were at once similar to me and also quite different from me. Um, and I feel like I really like got into Roxanne Gay's experience and head in that book and would highly recommend it. Those are good suggestions. Thanks. I, my Amazon cart is now so full because of you. <laughs> but what about, I love this question because I know what Becca's answer is to this question. I know my answer to this question what is your ideal of reading setup? Where are you? Do you have any beverages or snacks? What snacks are they? I love the snack recommendation. And do you listen to music while you read? Um, okay, so it's in the morning or during the day because I'm very sleepy when it comes to like the nighttime. Oh. Um, so I love to wake up early and read. I love reading with a cup of coffee or if it's like a little later in the day, a glass of wine and maybe a cup of tea. Like I because I just don't want to get too sleepy. I like to be able to read for a long time. How early does the wine come out? 
It depends on the day. <laughs> How early do you wake up to read a book you're really enjoying? Quite early. I'm also a bad sleeper, so I'm awake like pretty early in the morning. Um, but I feel like what saves me from being annoyed at that fact is that I know that if I'm awake, I just get to go read. So it like, is a win-win situation. Um, yeah. If it's a snack, it's something salty. I like not a big sweet snacker, but I love like Same. chips and dip or cheese and crackers or anything like that. Potato chips are like my crack for sure. Um, and then I do listen to music. It has to like fit what I'm reading. So last weekend I read all of American Royals in one day or two days. Oh, so good. It's so good. And I drank um, a rosé cider while I did it. And I listened to this playlist on Spotify. That's like normally I am a big playlist creator, but I just like needed to be able to throw something on. And it was called something like Sunny Day or something like that. And it was the perfect like poppy playlist to listen to while I read that book, which was like so fun and lighthearted. Um, but if it's something more serious, I'll throw on like something even something classical i love the pride and prejudice soundtrack from the movie with kira knightley um it's a really beautiful soundtrack to listen to and like it has a bit of drama but it won't distract you from what you're reading so yeah my setup is malleable is basically what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) we'll read anywhere yeah um what are your guys's i would say mine is on a weekend day where i start a book in the morning and have nowhere to be and nothing to do and i can just read in a continuous block until i finish the book or your back hurts too much so you have to like sit up i think that's you but um <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe that's me with a bagel yeah that yeah. i don't have a time crunch and, and um definitely with coffee uh, or when the time turns to wine um no snacks i'm generally not a big snacker so i would say like read until you get hungry and use that as your break to like go get oh, something huh. to eat i've got like the bagel like getting cream cheese on the book because I'm like Mm. just so engrossed in the book that I'm eating the bagel and like making a mess. Or potato chip grease for me. Mm. And mine is distinctly no music. Yeah, I'm also no music. What's yours? It's it's basically your setup but with the bagel. Or I most nights I'm a night owl and like I have to turn my brain off by reading. Like it's the only way I'm distracted from like all... I just like will make like constant like work to-do lists and like start thinking about how like like just terrible thoughts like about how I'm going to die alone or whatever mm-hmm. I might be thinking about. So I always read for like an hour before bedtime. And there's usually just a glass of water there because I've brushed my teeth. So there's no snacking. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Bookstagram. Yeah. Yes. So this was, so Bookstagram is a corner of the internet that I didn't realize existed until the last year maybe, but it obviously did. I'm curious, you told us a little bit about why you started it, but can you tell us about how it grew like was there was there a book that was the tipping point or was there i don't know like yeah what was the series of events that in the past two years took you from somebody who liked to read to how many followers do you have now almost forty thousand. yeah forty thousand. that's i thought it was like 27 because like that's when i last looked yeah it's been you're you're blowing up exponential kid guys (laughs) um uh, yeah. So I also didn't know it existed. I followed one bookstagrammer. Her name's Ashley. Her handle's bookworm status. She's wonderful. And I had coffee with her and I was like friends with her. And I was like, Oh, so cool. You get all these like books, like blah, blah, blah. We're reading all the same stuff. And she was the one who was like, publishers will send them to you. There's this whole community. You should be a part of it. So I didn't. Oh shit. Now you've got like triple her followers. Yeah. But she's <laughs> Ashley's like, I 
totally credit her with being the reason that I am here. I'm following her now. Yay. Um, I, yeah, her aesthetic is just like very pretty and very simple, very New York. Um, and so that's how I started. Like literally didn't know bookstagram existed until I was a part of the community. Um, so I, at the time when I was growing, I don't think I knew what it was exactly that I'd hit on. But now looking back in hindsight, I think that when I started to share more of my life and my personal life, my following started growing faster. Um, so last summer I was reading The Bucket List by Georgia Clark, which is one of my favorite books. Is that what the movie's based on? No. Oh. Totally different stories. <laughs> like super, super duper different stories. But I was like, everyone Morgan, asked that. that's very weird that that I was know. your tipping point. Um, no, this one is about a girl. So the it's a story of a girl whose um, breast cancer runs in her family and she gets tested and she has the breast cancer mutation. Um, so she has to decide whether to get a double mastectomy or not. And at the time that I was reading it, I had an abnormal pap smear and I had to go in to get a scope done. And this is my second experience with that. And it just seemed like really serendipitous to me that like I was reading this book as all this was going down. So I wrote a blog post about it, like almost without thinking about it. Just like put all my words on the page, got it up and left my apartment. And then like it just went wild. Like people were sending me, there were hundreds of DMs of like, I've been through a similar situation. My sister's been through something similar. Like I've also had an abnormal pap, crazy how nobody ever talks about this. Like just that kind of sensation of like, wow, I felt so alone. And now I know I'm not. And I feel like it was after that, that I really realized that the more I shared about my life as like a 20 something in New York and my anxiety and my friends and the things that were good and the things that weren't good, the more people responded to it. Um, so that was last summer. And I feel like that's when the growth really started happening. I like that. I said that to you when we got drinks that I like that you have a personality and you have likes and dislikes outside of just books. your book right on yeah. on your instagram because i feel like a lot of bookstagrams are just flat lays of books and you don't know who's recommending them to yeah, you and that's not what life is like even if you're a big reader you don't just have books in your life right so and books are such a personal thing like not everyone likes all the same stuff and that's not an insult to anyone's personality when they don't like the same book that you did but yeah i feel like the more i share of like who i am and why i respond to something the more people respond to both my recommendations and my social media presence. I like that a lot. I had the same experience like growing my blog. Like I always just posted outfits and like DIY tutorials and shopping roundups. But when I actually talked about a breakup I was going through, I feel like people could really relate. And like, I felt like there became more of a connection with my audience. Right. And those are the things that I engage the most with online as well. So like, it makes sense that that's what other people are looking for. Like your blog post about, like where you are in your life and like choosing not to have kids and things like that. Like that's the kind of stuff that I automatically swipe up on. Cause I'm like, Oh, I care about this person on yeah. in real life and online. And like, I want to yeah. read what they have to say about it. Yeah. I feel the same exact way. Yeah. Wait. So another question we got, this one was like slightly snarky, but I, I am curious, genuinely curious about your take. Okay. Someone wrote, do you think the bookstagram world is too saturated? Um, I think it depends on why you're asking the question. Um, I feel like that question frequently comes when someone's thinking about getting into the bookstagram world. If you're thinking about getting in the bookstagram world just to have an account to talk about books with other book-minded people, no, of course it's not too saturated. It's like basically like an online chat room about books. Like, do whatever you want. Like, I don't know. Live your life. But if you're thinking about it because you want to be an influencer and you want to grow your following, then like, 
yeah, obviously all of social media is extremely saturated. And if you don't have a unique viewpoint, like you're not going to make it forward in any way. So if that's your goal, you should spend some time thinking about like what your brand is and what you bring to this sphere that is new or unique or is like solely yours. Um, but I don't feel like it's too saturated to be a part of it. I also think that's true of absolutely everything. Yeah. Like, is something too saturated? Like, no, if you have, if you do an awesome job and you have a really cool point of view, like, of course you should still do it. Yeah. I totally agree. Blair Eady said something really, it wasn't in the podcast, but she said this to me, like, I, one of the first times I met her, she was like, is it something different? And, or are you doing it better than what's already out there? So it has to be, you have to have a unique angle or maybe your photography or your writing about these books is just better than what's out there. Mm -hmm. I think also if you make it local, like I love that you kind of have the NYC mm -hmm. angle, but there's like the SF book girl and like you can make it about your city if you live in a city or there's, um, it's not very big yet, but it's that account girl power reads and she mm -hmm. only writes about authors by women. I love I mean, her books account by women. for that exact reason. Yeah. And I think she has a really strong voice. And if like, I know where to go if I'm looking for that kind of recommendation. Yeah. yeah. So. Speaking about New York, yeah. what are your favorite local bookstores? Oh, so my top list is Book Culture, which is on the Upper West Side. Um, there are multiple locations. My favorite one is the one on West 112th, partially because my roommate's the manager there and partially because they have an amazing stock of both used and new books. Um, so you'll like always find something you're looking for there and probably at a really good price. Um, I love the Strand just because it is my home away from home, my favorite place in the city. It's like bustling and crazy and wonderful. Um, and then Books Are Magic is just like the most beautiful place in the whole wide world. I went to Books Are Magic for the first time maybe a month ago. How had you never been there before? Ooh, listen to that ambient wine noise. I'm pouring Our house some noise. more wine. <laughs> house noise is wine. Um, yeah, I went there for the first time. I I don't know how I'd never been there. It's so it's so wonderful. Inside. That was a place that I really loved the tables, and it would have yes. made me really upset if I found out that they were paid for. I just highly doubt that they are there. Maybe it's in some places. Maybe, Maybe it's at Barnes yeah. & Noble yeah. and not at, yeah. you know, your books are magic or your local. Yeah. The other thing I love about books are magic is that they do 10% off bestsellers. So, like, right now, oh. three women's bestseller there. So, if you went and bought it right now from the store, you get 10% off. I love bookstores like Books Are Magic where people who work there are genuinely mm -hmm. huge readers because I think I love the section where um, it's recommended by the staff. Mm -hmm. And I feel like where when you go to a bookstore and at every bookstore, of course, the people who work there are readers, but you know, the people are just on a different level. Yeah. I, I love the stores like books or magic or um, what's in Patchett's bookstore. Parnassus. Oh, Parnassus. Parnassus. Yeah, I or, loved it there. You know, Parnassus. these like book people bookstores yeah. and, that's how I feel about our the Williamsburg um, McNally Jackson. I love that McNally Jackson. Also. They are such big readers. Like they know me there because I try and buy most of my books there. I yeah. still slip up and pre-order things on Amazon and like it or like I'm buying an Amazon nightgown. And I'm like, well, I need this book too. But I do try and buy things from local booksellers and like. They're like, oh, you read, you finished the Ferrante book. Are you have you have you read the third one yet? I'm like, no, not yet. It's still in my pile. Like, I love that like hand touch thing. My friend Anthony works at Books Are Magic, so if you see them, say hi. But last night, Kyle and I were talking about 
staff picks. My roommate Kyle and I were talking about staff picks. And he was saying that when you see a shelf of staff picks, you have to decide on who your staff pick crush is. Like find somebody oh, who's recommended that. a book that you liked and then find their other recommendations to see if you will like find something you love by seeing like you know you have that in common so or maybe it's a meet cute maybe it's me cute there was a guy who worked at the strand who i had a major crush on for a while but i don't think he works there anymore mm. and i don't know any more information about him than that so. i hope he listens to this podcast i bet he, he does knows you. oh my god he totally does like just like barack obama yes and you're gonna fall in love yeah that mm-hmm. was a weird reference for people who didn't oh see sorry that. there was a thing today going around where obama made his list of summer reading and American Spy was on it. So, of course, we're like, oh, clearly he listens to our podcast. We don't actually think he listens, obviously. But it was funny. Should we move to the random bucket? Yeah. Hit me with the random bucket. So, I thought this one was very interesting in light of, you already mentioned that you experience anxiety. and But somebody said you always seem so positive and happy. How do you do it? Any self-care tips? Okay. I would deeply say that I'm not good at self-care. I'm like very bad at making time for myself. Um, working out and reading are like the two ways that I manage to do that. But besides that, I book my schedule up like way too much. I have not learned oh Grace's Same. say no, no tips. Yeah. I, I haven't learned my say no tips yet either. We can work on it together because yeah. it's something I really struggle with. Um, uh, yeah. So I think that the happiness thing, I think I am a happy person. I think through a lot of my life, like even through the things I've been dealing with, with anxiety, I've tried to choose in the moments I can to be happy. Um, and I like can ride happy. Like if I like pick to be happy, I can kind of carry that through for a while. Um, it doesn't mean I'm not like salty or sassy as I'm sure like many of my friends would describe me as being as well. <laughs> and of course my online persona is like that version of myself that I choose to put okay, on there. I was That's gonna the ask this. Yeah. And maybe we'll cut it if we don't want to answer this. Yeah. But if you had to say, I want to hear this from everyone, what percentage accurate is your online persona versus your actual self? Um I have a video I have to show you guys afterwards of when it was Independent Bookstore Day. I kept saying International Bookstore Day. And there's a video of me starting to record a story where I was like, it's today, it's international. And then I'm like, oh, shit. And I like, stop recording. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously that didn't go up. Um, I don't know. It's like, mine's pretty high. I think it's like a 70%. Like, okay. A lot of what I do is what I do on my stories, which is like hang out with my cat and my roommates and play board games and read books and bop around the city. Like, that's a lot of my life. Chris, what's yours? Well, if you're looking at my Instagram feed, it's like 50% because like I'm so put together and like always have a cute outfit on there. But I think my stories are pretty accurate. I would say like 80%. I'm definitely snarkier. That's what I was going to say is nobody knows that you're very mischievous. Mischievous and snarky. Snarky and weird. Yeah, but I think that I'm pretty weird on my stories. Weirder in real life. Yeah, definitely. But I'd say that this, like, stories, it, it's get, I'm closing the gap. Like, a year ago, it was, like, maybe 50% on everything. And I think that I've just gotten a lot more comfortable being more myself. And I think, actually, I was talking about this with Kate last night on her podcast, because I'm on the Under the Influencer series for mm-hmm. Be There in Five, which is one of the podcasts we really like. I just started listening to it today. It's great. Yeah. But um, I, I was, we're talking about, like, growing your Instagram and stuff. And I was like, honestly, when I stopped trying to like be this perfect person and was just like, all right, I'm going to be a little more weird and be more me. 
it started to grow more. Do you know what? So having the smallest following at the table. But what about you? I, I would say like 50%. Okay. And I, the one thing that I feel distinctly uncomfortable with that I'm like running a dip a toe into maybe is um, doing talking to the camera stories. Mm-hmm. And I hate, I still hate doing that. I like, I don't, I've never, maybe I've done it once. I don't feel comfortable doing it. And um, I didn't realize that you never did, but I now know. I'm realizing I, you I don't. never do it. And it. so I think that a lot of what you get is like written out. So it's not actually from my mouth. So I don't feel like it always, but it feels like you talk represents. I, oh, I do think like the captions are the way that I talk and like you write how you talk. I write how I talk, but, um, but you get yeah, I haven't bridged it. the, I haven't bridged yeah. the gap to just like talking. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say also like Grace and I, have to post more so we're automatically putting more content out there so it's like going to be a higher percent of us just because we can't pretend that much like right yeah yeah i'm not i'm not as snarky or as like i get short-tempered in real life and i don't think i've ever shown that side of myself i do too on instagram but also like how would i show that side of myself come across as a total spoiled brat if you're like oh my god and you're like whining nobody wants to see that wants to see that and i don't want like my own camera and my own face when i'm feeling that way yeah I think I'm totally me. I just don't show the bad parts. If I'm having a shitty day, if my apartment is a mess, if I'm in a really bad mood, I don't show that because no one wants to go on Instagram, click to open stories and have this hot mess of this person complaining. There's influencers I follow that complain a lot and I don't follow them anymore. I think it's how you complain because the other thing I will say is that sometimes when something bad happens, people will really engage. Like the night that I stepped in dog shit. Oh my God. But I will never forget that series of yes, stories from you. I know. And it, I mean, was, it was funny. a funny story, but like it was also like, here's what a hot mess I am and like quite complaining. And yeah. I don't know. I, I like, I do like to hear when things are imperfect from somebody else. Like I do like when somebody. If you can show it in, with a sense of humor. Yeah. I can do imperfect, even, but I can't do mean. No, not mean. Or short tempered. Um, yeah. You know, like Busy Phillips is like such a yeah. macro example but she's like an insane hypochondriac which she openly admits and you know we'll talk about like things that are quite complainy but it's very it's almost endearing yeah yeah i don't know i do like when people aren't just like rosy everything's oh, yeah. people great. were were real invested in Tyrion's eye like they were they cared he's a recurring character i, I feel know. like they have to care yeah I recently started talking about how I really don't like cooking on my stories, but like obviously have to do it anyway as a human of the world. <laughs> and people have rather responded to that in a way I didn't anticipate because also like lots of people also hate cooking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's relatable. Yeah. But it, it like also could make you sound spoiled in like cer- certain contexts. So. That's true. Yeah. I never want to come across as spoiled or entitled, but I just I do want to show like the real side of life. Right. Can we talk about your anxiety? Yeah. So the question that somebody asked, feel free to answer this whatever way you want. Somebody said, you've dealt with anxiety in the past. What are the ways that you deal with it? But I just want to hear as much of your experience as you're willing to yeah. share. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've had anxiety for as long as I can remember now that I know what it is, that like how my anxiety takes form in my body. Um, so I think the first time I can document having a panic attack, I was in fourth grade, but at the time I didn't know what it was that was happening. And it wasn't until college that I was diagnosed by like an actual medical professional. 
Um, I had a prolonged anxiety attack for 48 hours when I was in college. Oh, my God. My roommate, like, very much saved my life. I didn't eat and I didn't sleep for 48 hours. And she oh was God. the one who was like, ma'am, you are going to the doctor. Um, and I went and I've had good experiences, like, treating my anxiety. I've seen a bunch of different therapists, some of whom have been super successful, some of whom haven't. I've been medicated at certain times. I'm not right now, but I, for a while, took sleeping pills and everyday anxiety drugs as well as like using like in the moment drugs to treat panic attacks as they came on. Um, and that was really helpful in just like knowing that there was a way to handle it because my anxiety is very physical and my panic panic attacks have like really physical symptoms to the point where they restrict me from being able to like continue to go about my day or go about my life. Um, but I was really fortunate in that I came from a family that recognizes mental health as something that is a disease. Um, and my mom sat us down when we were, I think I was in high school. My brother was maybe a little younger and was like, depression runs in our family. If you guys ever feel anything that feels out of place that way, let us know. Um, and when I was in college and I started being able to isolate my panic attacks and understand that they weren't all like triggered by stressful factors in my life, but sometimes they were just happening. I called my parents and I was like, this thing's going on. And between them and my support group at school, I was able to like really start treating it. Um, so I don't have like go-to ways to handle it like during the day necessarily. Um, cause I've, I've done like the whole gambit of things and often medication's been what's been most helpful. Um, talking about it is helpful. Belly breathing is helpful, which is like a meditation technique of breathing in for five seconds, holding it and then breathing out for five seconds, but making sure that it's like a long and, um, like determined five seconds, not that you're just like active five seconds, you're not passively breathing. Um, so that's been really useful for me. Um, I don't know. I, I never was somebody who like really mastered meditation or anything like that. Um, instead I find like cycling soul cycle to be my version of that anxiety reliever. Um, yeah, that's kind of me. I, I always feel bad when I'm asked this question cause I don't have, I think people are often looking for like go-to simple solutions to manage anxiety and it's not ever as cut and dry as that. Yeah, But I think the advice of getting medicated is really good yeah. because I think that there is so much like frou-frou advice out there about mm -hmm. men, about anxiety, like making it seem like you can self-treat it or self-care yeah. it. And I think that my, well, I think always like talk to a doctor. Yes. Like, I think anxiety has also become part of the zeitgeist in a way a where it's not it, it's talked about interchangeably whether you have medically diagnosed anxiety that needs medication or whether you have a feeling of anxiety mm -hmm. or, or something else. And, and I think that it gets thrown around in the different contexts without like a designation of which yeah. one you're of, talking about. Right. And I, I, yeah. I was trying to say I'm stressed versus I'm anxious right. because I feel like they're two different things. One is a medical condition and one is you just took too much stuff on and you you you're an idiot yeah and both of which are like really valid like valid feelings yeah but i've one of them involves like finding a treatment plan and one of them involves finding ways to relieve stress in your life yeah um but yeah i think that my anxiety plays into what i was saying earlier about like why i'm not good at self-care because i'm not good at sitting still or like using that time to take care of myself i feel like i always have to be productive in some way um which is why like reading and working out are my versions of like kind of starting to manage that. Cause for me, reading can be for work or for the blog or like I can file it mentally into the productive category. 
and working out is the same. So, yeah, that's me and my anxiety. So we got a kind of trickier question, um, which you referenced soul cycle. And I want to know Becca's thoughts here too, because you guys are my soul cycle buds. What are you guys doing about soul cycle? This person says they gave up their membership and they're really disappointed and they don't really know what to think or what to do. Can I give a quick primer if, if yeah. people haven't been following this? Yes. So, um, about a week ago, Stephen Ross, who is a billionaire, he's the chairman of Comcast, threw a Trump fundraiser in the Hamptons, like a very expensive, I don't know how many thousands of dollars per plate, but like... I heard it was like $100,000 yeah. to go. A very expensive fundraiser for Donald Trump. And um, since that became public, um, people have, quote unquote, canceled a lot of the businesses that he's invested in. So in addition to being the chairman of Comcast, which I, I believe he still is, he might be a chairman emeritus. I'm not positive. Um, he runs a venture capital firm and or invests his money in a venture capital firm and has invested in many businesses. And among them are Equinox, right, who owns SoulCycle. The chairman of Related Realty. Related. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. owns Equinox, which owns SoulCycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's invested in Bluestone Lane. He is an investor in Momofuku. He's an investor in Lola, which is a lot of questions I've been getting. Um, and so basically, the internet has been very outraged and decided that all of these businesses are canceled because they do not want to give him their money. And so... I I have thoughts, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. I saw you wrote a Soul Cycle this morning. Soul Cycle is obviously not canceled for you. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, okay, so I obviously have been grappling with this over not obviously, but me as a human has been grappling with this over the past week since this information came to light. Um, because I just wasn't aware of it before that. Um and I do think it's like a nuanced situation. I don't think that things are as black and white as like cancel or don't cancel. Um, I think SoulCycle as a corporation has to deal with it. And I think they know he has, they have to deal with it and they are taking steps to do so. Um, so that is not something I can speak to. Like I'm not a SoulCycle representative. Can't speak to that. However, it has changed my life over the past two years. Um, I've made some of my best friends through Soul people that I ride with, people that work at the front desk. Um, Two instructors in particular have become two of the people I feel closest with in the city. And I was somebody who for my entire life has struggled with anxiety and my relationship with my body and with food. And Soul took all of that and made it something happier and positive. Um, So I have like a very emotional connection to it. It's gotten me through breakups, job changes, the Kavanaugh trials, like a whole series of things that have happened over the past two years that I found my sanity in that space. So very emotionally connected to it. My stopping to go only hurts the people at the very bottom level. It doesn't hurt the billionaire at the top. It hurts the instructors I care about and the front desk people that I call my friends. So I will continue to show up and to be in class. Um, and that's like the choice that I've chosen in the situation. And I think that I wouldn't like alienate myself from anybody who chose differently, who chose to stop participating in the franchise. Um, but I personally feel like I know who my involvement is benefiting and it's the people that I care about the most. 
And it's in the space that is the complete antithesis of everything that Trump is. Like it is a space of love and unconditional acceptance um, and support of people of all shapes and sizes. And SoulCycle and Equinox have very progressive values mm-hmm. as companies and have done a lot for trans rights and um, gay rights and have been very progressive in terms of their fundraising. Like SoulCycle frequently has fundraisers for mm-hmm. every town or... And they're continuing um, to do so exactly. as a reaction to this. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not Which, like we've uncovered their true secret underbelly I know. of Equinox. They have an investor who yeah. has a political ideology that... Right maybe people disagree with, but the way that the company operates has obviously um, not been a reflection of that. Right. And is that the same with Lola, do you feel? Um, so I, I agree with you that I think your, I think my individual lack of patronage is not going to harm this person. I, he is a billionaire and I don't think that, you know, even if Equinox goes under or, you know, Lola goes under, I don't think that that's going to impact his bottom line. And you're right that it is going to impact the people who have built this business and who work at this business. And, um, you know, I, I think there's one thing I think you can argue the, that cumulatively it could have an impact, but, um, again, I, I think you're hurting the wrong people. Like you're, cutting off your nose to spite your face to quote a recent Taylor Swift song, which maybe just undermined my argument. Anyway, um, having been at Lola during this, but not speaking in any way as a mouthpiece for the company or um, having heard a party line from them, which I haven't, um, I know that uh, he invested in the company before Lola, or sorry, he invested in the company before Donald Trump was even running for president. And I think we cannot hold people accountable for not being clairvoyant. Um, the other yeah. thing I would say is that it is very hard to kick an investor out of a company once they have invested. So no matter what Equinox or Lola or Momofuku or any of these companies might think of this, I don't know how much they can do. Um, and I don't know how expeditiously they could do it even if they went down that road. So that's one thing I would say is that we can't spite companies because they weren't able to foresee this future and know that this would happen because it wasn't even something that was on the table when they were offered investment. Um, I think another really interesting point that came up in our Facebook group was that um, so female founded businesses uh, represent 2.2% of venture capital raised in 2018, which is a sadly low number. And um, somebody put it this way where they said, what if uh, we supported these businesses and uh, showed through voting with our dollars that investments in these progressive causes and these businesses that are founded by women, people of color that have progressive values as businesses are better business investments than investing in um, political causes. Like, would he divert more of his money into investment? And I thought that was a very interesting thing. That's a, a yeah. really interesting way to look at not just this situation, but how you spend your money in general and who you show you're showing up for. Exactly. And I think the thing that is um, kind of graded at, at me is that I'm sure I know that there are people, but I think if you follow the money, it is difficult to find unimpeachable, like pristine people at the top of these hedge funds, private equity funds, Etc. And I think the thing that really irks me is that this came out and we decided that all of these businesses are canceled. But have we done the research to know what 
the values of the alternatives are. Like, are we, are we truly switching to better things? Are we supporting better things? I completely, I I don't know. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you are the person who's done all of their research, great. I fully support you voting with your dollars and bringing that money somewhere else. But I think to the average consumer, you know, switching from, I don't know what the proxy would be, but, you know, switching from one thing to another where you haven't done that research, like, it feels really reactive. Where, like, the unfortunate reality is that, like, the people who are investing in businesses who have a lot of money... Like, there are probably many people with conservative values. And, like, you can't say, like, I'm I'm moving into a yurt and I'm not going to... I'm going to grow my own food and I'm not going to support any of these businesses. Right. Or you say that and you do that, but it's really hard to find the in-between. Like... Right. Do, do that. But, yeah. like, you know, if you're living in the in-between, like, you are supporting businesses, whether cognizantly or not. Right. That, you're buying groceries, you're buying gas, like at some point, something is going to someone. And do you know where all of those chains lead? It's so, I don't know. But I don't necessarily know that that's a great excuse either way. Well, it's so funny. Do you watch The Good Place? I watched the first season. I love The Good Place. Okay. I love The Good Place so much. And there is a storyline. Um, light spoilers. Uh, if you are in the middle of watching the show, there's the storyline in the most recent season where they find out that nobody has gotten into heaven in the past 500 years because the um, ripple effect of your choices has become so oh, detrimental that's that it's impossible for anyone to get into heaven. And it's so true. And it's like they give this example where it's like this guy went and bought an orange, but then like the ripple effect of like how that orange was grown and who grew that orange and the labor practices and blah, 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 and down the line and down the line, like was actually a net value of the concept of the show is that every value has a point total and it's like negative 500 points for buying an orange and it's like that's the satirical representation of it but it's like that's so that's amazing so funny we're living in the good place that show is so smart we're the bad place but and i truly do believe there are people who have done this research and to those people i say great that's what that's how i feel i feel like if you've made the decision to do something different and you feel informed and empowered in that decision i'm not chastising you for it no but the person on twitter who's reactively saying this is canceled and you're right because it is affecting the people at the front desk the instructors who have fostered a positive community and had no say in this decision to accept this investment in any way shape or form right and a lot of them are really hurting by what's happening and by the way people have been not just reacting on social media but attacking them on social media um and that is the part that's really hard for me to see so i don't i'm not taking myself off a bike anytime soon um, this was a very downer place to leave this. So we're, will you join us for obsessions and Instagram and reading? I would love to. Okay. So Morgan is a co-host of this podcast now. Welcome to our third co-host. Wow. Thanks, We're guys. so excited to have you. All my sucking up worked. Yeah. Do you have an obsession? You can go first. Yes. Should my first obsession be Instagram or not Instagram? Not Instagram. Okay. So my first obsession are these cuffs from this jewelry store. I think it's called Majuri, but I'm not positive. Mm-hmm. Um, that so, is a jewelry store. Yes. I don't know if those okay. are. Yes, How do you that's spell that? M, I think it's M-E-I-J-U-R-I. Okay. Um, so I was at a wedding two weeks ago. 
in Toronto in when Toronto, I was in Toronto. In the same hotel. Oh, sorry. As me and Ashley Spivey. Yes. It's M-E-J-U-R-I. Oh, it's cute. Um, It's super cute. So I was at this wedding and I befriended my new best friends, Allie and Will. And Allie had this awesome cuff that went around her ear, like kind of halfway up her ear. And I thought it was a piercing and my mom thought it was a cuff. And my mom was the one who was right. It's a cuff. But Allie decided that it's her like witchy cuff. And when she wears it, she has powers. So my mom and I just got them. And I can't wait for them to get here and become our magical cuffs. But we also bought a ton of other stuff from this website because it's quite affordable. And the jewelry is really pretty and dainty and simple. Have, I've been really wanting like a new signet ring for my pinky, and I see a yeah. really cute one. Well, let's just open another tab. Yeah, loads of earrings. The rings are really nice. So oh, they are. Yeah. Okay. Um, and like obviously, you can't buy everything on the website, but like it's quite affordable if you're looking to get yourself something nice. Grace, what are you obsessed with? So mine is basically Amazon everything. Like everyone knows about the nightgown. I'm not going to talk about that. I. I think we should because I don't think we've talked about the nightgown and on I've this been podcast. following the journey. So I found out about the nightgown like four or five months ago. It was actually before I started the inclusivity challenge because um, Hitha linked to it in one of her newsletters and I ordered two of them, but it was only at the time available in up to an extra large. So I couldn't really talk about it on my blog, but I was wearing it just like around the house as this like house dress. And then, um, so I had it. It was great. I liked it, but I was just like keeping it to myself. And then they started making it enough to an XXL. Um, Becca has a couple. How many do you have, Becca? Two, but I think I'm going to order one or two more. I think I'm going to get one too. I have two and then two on the way to me. Um, I was wearing it on vacation with my family and they all got such a kick out of it. My dad called me it my mama's and the papa's outfit, <laughs> which I was into. My mom was like, Maybe I want that. I don't know. I sent her one. It arrived today. She has not acknowledged it. Um, and then um, every day, probably five to six people tag me in Instagram wearing their nightgowns. So I just started putting them up on my stories because I think it's fascinating that this $30 dress, it's not actually a nightgown, has taken off the way it has. And people just love it so much. It makes them so happy. Like, yes, it's a muumuu. No, it is not the most flattering thing in your closet. It is so comfortable on hot summer days where you don't want anything to stick to you. And I'm just like so into the fact that it has made so many people happy and they're really into it. It is the perfect travel dress. It is cute enough that you feel like you have put in more effort than wearing sweatpants. Yes. But it is a nightgown. It is so comfortable. So my latest one I'm holding right now is these pearl earrings. They're just a pearl hoop, and I'm very, very into them. You got this on Amazon? Yeah. they're So I have, you guys, I have a shop on Amazon. It's just Amazon.com slash Grace Atwood. It has, like, all my stuff. And I put the pearl earrings in there this morning because I was wearing them in that weird picture I took with Tyrion at the vet, and, like, five people were like, but where are your earrings from? Like, like surprise. What about my cat? I know. I'm like, what about my cat? But surprise, my earrings were Amazon. The other big obsession is also also from Hitha. I seem to get a lot of my recommendations from her newsletter, which you should all sign up for, is these um, Celine look-alike sunglasses. They look just like my favorite Celine's. They're $11. I'm interested in seeing those. Please send me a link. Yes, I will. I, I've seen them both in Hitha's newsletter and on Grace's stories. Yeah. I love the Amazon weird fashion things because the thing about it is, is if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I've been burned by random Instagram advertising. 
But and the returns are so easy. That's the thing is that you can buy the weird stuff on Amazon and it's easy to return. So I'm it, really into Amazon barrettes also. I've bought ooh, a ton of hair accessories on Amazon. Cute barrettes. Yeah. They um so I feel like bougie saying this, but when people like freak out about Amazon nightgown sizing, I'm like, order it in two sizes and send it back. Yeah. Like it's so easy to return. There are so many colors. I don't think I'd realized yet. There's a lot. So many. They just added new ones. There's a really pretty orange one. Casey Balsham, who like it's not Casey Balsham's style. Casey is one of our friends. She's a comedian. She opened our live show at Caroline's. She's obsessed with it. She's so obsessed. And she now has, I think, like four. And she DMs me on the regular. She's like, Did you see? They added seven new colors today. I'm like, No, Casey, I didn't see. She is actually the real ambassador for the Amazon nightgown. Ugh, I'm going to buy some more tonight yeah. when I check out with these books that I have in my cart. Yeah. Can I tell you something weird that I'm obsessed with? Oh, yes. yes. And it's not a product. I'm jealous because like I a, want this. It's like a thing. So I am obsessed with getting status on Delta. I'm I hear you. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> And so I something well your travel schedule you should be I know like a switch flipped in my head where where I was like I'm traveling this much I need to get something for it and getting something for it in my mind has equated to Delta status and so I'm very close to silver very close however you're gonna get on the plane before me and I'm bitter oh yeah it's gonna kill Grace oh my god for the live she's gonna make you take her suitcase Mm-hmm. Probably. I'll be like, take this. Grace <laughs> cheats and pretends that she's in a higher she's class. She's just going to say she's traveling or, with you. Or I spend $30 so I can get on the plane first. I know. But anyway, I'm obsessed with it. getting Delta status. And I think that after the first show of our tour, I'm going to get silver status, which isn't even that good. But at least yeah. you got something for your summer of hellish weddings. And then I'm also obsessed with credit card points. Like, I, I don't know why I'm becoming like this weird <laughs> point freak. But I am, and I was just in San Francisco, and I booked a hotel room with points twice, and I didn't realize how deeply they discount hotel rooms at the last yeah. minute that you can still book with points. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. So I stayed at the Fairmont in San Francisco. I had kind of a travel snafu, and I stayed at the Fairmont in San Francisco, which is gorgeous. And I want to say it had, it had been like discounted down to like $300, but then with my credit card, I have the chase sapphire card same in case anyone wants to know and it, like for travel it counts as like 1. 1.25 yeah. or 1.25 and so like i was like oh wow it's not that many points it was like eighteen thousand points which is the equivalent of like 180 dollars. and i was like oh that's pretty good yeah i'm very obsessed with delta status points if anyone wants to talk about this i want to talk about it so well i'm a gray style traveler so i need to earn the status so i can get on the plane first yeah yeah, well. I'm upset because I I don't want to go anywhere, but I just want status. I'm obsessed with it. It's weird. I send a screenshot every time I take a flight to my friend Allie, who is uh, she works in sales and she travels a ton for work, and she is like executive platinum or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I send her a screenshot of my Delta um, Sky Miles account every time I fly. She's probably like, "What are you doing?" I used to have platinum on American, and that was great. I dislike American Airlines. I do too. I've never really flown them, so. Tell me about Instagram Grace because you have a weird one. Um, wait, I think that our first our new co-host needs to answer first. Oh, okay. okay. Mine's not super weird. Well, I think the person is weird, but the content's not. So Howard Stern's wife has an Instagram. Oh, yeah. oh 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you know, you I love her. her no. no. Okay. So it's Beth Stern. I think her account's Beth O. Stern. Beth O. Stern. Yeah. Um, and she fosters cats, but there are all kinds of animals featured on there. But if you want good animal content multiple times a day, she has all kinds of kittens and they change out frequently because she fosters them. Recently, she had a raccoon featured on there. One of my friends told me about this last weekend and it's been like the best seven days of my life. I unfollowed her, but I might have to refollow. It was just so much. Yeah. Like, it's a lot of cats, but the raccoon content really just got me this week. And it's like multiple times a day. She doesn't yeah. like follow any rules. She's oh, not like, no. oh, I'm going to only post once a day. She, sometimes it's like five or ten times a day. But Great. So you're not following Beth O'Stern, but who are you following? Um, My new internet best friend, Combos. So Combos is my new favorite thing to follow on Instagram. I found out about it because Akila, who was on our podcast a while back, posted about them because she had a combos brand. They had a they post they post these funny like weird combos products that don't exist. So they posted like a bottle of sunscreen um, with cheese coming out of it that said combos on it. It like it says combo stuff, stuff snacks sunscreen protective cheese technology. Then today they had one where you know how there's always on Instagram the picture of the girl drinking out of the coconut with like. Um, umbrellas and flowers sticking out of it. They transposed a giant combo into that. So it's like a girl drinking cheese out of a combo. So can I just tell you about our love affair? So I, I tagged them. I was like, I stand you combos. And they were, we stand you too. Does that sound cool? And I was like, super cool. And then they wrote, we need best friends necklaces. And I go, I'd be deeply into that. And then they wrote, be right back stringing combos together with yarn and heading to UPS. And I was like, this is like just my level of, of weird. So they're verified. They're not growing fast. They yesterday they had like 1180 followers and now they only have 1215. They've only grown 35. So they, they need some help, but they are verified with only 1200 followers, <laughs> but I'm really into what they're doing. So I have an inside joke with one of my friends about combos because I, I actually didn't realize that combos still existed. I love combos. And um, at the airport and like on road trips. They're well, great road trips. That's the now. thing. So my friend was like, no, they absolutely still exist. And she was like, at airports, there's like so many combos. And so every time she's at an airport, she sends me a picture of combos at the airport. But the thing is, is that that I don't trust is that like there's so many combos at a Hudson News, like the shelf space that combos takes up is really huge i have never seen anyone eating combos at the airport you've seen me eating them no i haven't i i buy them well i'm trying to be healthier because i ate so many french fries and things this summer that i'm like all right we're gonna like roll things in i have never seen anyone eating combos at the airport and i'm like it doesn't make sense you know when i ate them was when we were with kate um and we needed we were desperate for snacks because we were starving oh yeah but that's in mexico that's weird that's like you know you buy the weird snacks yeah I I've always buy them on road trips, like that. Those in Slim Jim are like my guilty. I've definitely snacks. seen people buy them in a gas station, but never in an airport. Right, and I'm yeah. like, they take up so much shelf space. People must be buying them. Yeah, yeah. Mystery, mystery. That's stressful. Somebody asked me, "What is yours? What is yours, Becca? Tell us." Thank you. Um, mine's a little snarky. Um, I'm not following this for the right reason. Um, does do you guys? Yeah, follow, what's with her hair? Do you guys follow Lee from America? Yeah, I, I, I used to. My old intern was obsessed with her. So she's like this um, healthy living Instagrammer. 
And she had a very culty following. And then she took a break from Instagram. And she took a break from Instagram for like six months. Mm -hmm. And she just came back in the past month. And she has a bowl cut and like a whole new vibe. And I am just like watching everything she posts because I am so interested to know Mm -hmm. what happened on her hiatus. So interested. Maybe not interested for the right reasons, but like every time she posts, I'm like, what does the caption say? Need to know everything. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm invested. There's a lot. I I used to follow her and then I unfollowed her because frankly, I was annoyed by it. Um, she just did this post about pubic hair, which was like a very jarring image in my feed. And I, I'm all for whether, whatever you want to do with your body hair. I was just like, oh, wow. And then I went through a rabbit hole. I followed her and unfollowed her and then followed her and unfollowed her. I'm currently unfollowed, but it's just a lot of stuff. Intrigue. Yeah. I'm intrigued. I don't like to follow people for the wrong reasons because I wouldn't want someone to do, to do that to I me. I know. That's why I felt bad saying it. But I was like, honestly, like I haven't really followed that many new people. And she's the person that I'm like, yeah, I want to know what's going on. I've yeah. never thought about people following me for the wrong reasons before. Now I'm going to think about that. Uh-oh. Oh, sorry. Yeah. She seems like a nice girl, too. So I don't want to snark. Oh, yeah. She's reading City of Girls, which is good. I think you guys would like it yeah. if you haven't read it yet. Look at the post on her grid right below that, though. I know. That one is... It, it's just it's a very high cut bathing suit with a bush peeking out and like that's cool but I don't know I wouldn't put it on Instagram what about reading <laughs> let's get away from the snark let's get away yeah I don't want to snark um reading speaking of snark I am still on the Lux series tonight when you guys leave my apartment it is back to book four for me which I finished the third one this morning I like it so much that I've been reading before work um similar to what Morgan does so I love that. And then teed up for next, I think I'm going to read Mrs. Everything by Jennifer Weiner, which I know you didn't like, Becca, but so many I people have told I me you loved. I only read the first couple chapters. I read the same. Table. I did the same. I read the first hundred pages and I just haven't gotten past it yet. A lot of people are like comparing it to Three Women. I know. I have seen accounts to that effect, but I'm not sure I stuck with it long enough to understand the comparison. Okay. Yeah. We'll see. I'm going to try it. I bought it. Like I didn't get it from the publisher, but I don't know. We'll see. I'll, I'll report yeah. back next Interested week. to hear what you think. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just finished the uh, second book from the author of A Sky Painted Gold. Oh, how was it? It was good. Have Laura you read that one? No. A Sky Painted Gold? No. Oh, my God. You need to. Okay. I'll buy it Oh, for you'll it. love it. That was an Ashley Spivey. It's my favorite book to give people because I feel it like it's me. very under okay. the radar. So it's like something that I love to I love that. Support. Yeah, exactly. And support. It has like four Amazon reviews. Anyway, second book came out. It's called Under a Dancing Star. And it is in the same vein as A Sky Painted Gold, but it is different characters. So I don't know if I should call it a series or not, because it's different people, but it's in the same world. And so it's um, it's a take on Much Ado About Nothing by Shakespeare. And it is set in 1930s, and it's a girl who um, is from a... Uh, a not a rich family, because it's like a titled family that like has no money left to them and she's supposed to get married to somebody who can like help them to support the family manor and she gets sent to italy for the summer to live with this uncle and he's um with this woman who has basically started an artist commune in italy and it's just this like wonderful 
beautiful, like visually rich book that is just so lovely and such a great world to get lost in. So I will say I didn't like it quite as much as A Sky Painted Gold, but I still really liked it. And so definitely start with A Sky Painted Gold if you haven't read it. Um, but this was also really just like such a great escape. Wow. Okay. You sold me. What are sure. you reading? Um, okay. I'm reading this book called Widow. Sorry. It's called Widow Basquiat. It's by Jennifer Clements. Oh, I've almost read that so many times. Yeah. So I have had it on my shelf for forever. I'm like, um, incredibly obsessed with Jean-Michel Basquiat, the artist, and it's an account of his life and the woman that he was romantically involved with for most oh. of his life's life. Um, and I love this work. I, so do I. I grabbed it on Saturday night on my way out of the apartment because I had an hour long train to Brooklyn and I needed a book that would fit in my purse and it's quite small. Um, but I'm a completely obsessed with it. I would recommend it for fans of the style of Daisy Jones and the Six because it has partially like a third part party narrator and partially a first person like oral history esque style. Um, but I'm just totally completely smitten with it. And then for work, I'm reading this book that comes out in January called Fight of the Century, and it is um, done in conjunction with the ACLU, which is having its 100th year anniversary this January. And so the ACLU commissioned Michael Chabon and Eilat Waldman to get together a group of writers they love to write on an ACLU case that was meaningful to them. So it has like an incredible list of writers who have written for it, like Meg Wallitzer and Lauren Groff and Jasmine Ward and Andrew Sean Greer and just like this crazy list of people, um, Marlon James, and they have written about cases of their choosing. Sometimes the essays are like directly correlated to the law. Sometimes they're more just like how it relates to their life in like a more vague way. And it's so powerful and I love it. And it's terrific. And it comes out in January. Yeah. Jan- so the anniversary, I think, is January 19th. And I think the book publishes on January 21st, 2020. Okay. Morgan, you have more than earned your own desperation minute. Oh, my goodness. Where yeah. can people find you? Um, okay. So I'm NYC Book Girl on Instagram or nycbookgirl.com on my blog, which I took a little hiatus from, but I'm ramping back up. Um, and then, I don't know, I'm on Twitter and Facebook as well, but really everything goes through Insta and the blog. So that's where I am for more bookish wrecks and nonsense about my life. Morgan, this has been so fun. I have so much to buy. Oh my God, my Amazon card is full. Also, I am still on Lee from America's page. (laughs) I I started reading the comments on some of it's the, it's the comments are worse than the posts. Everyone just is demanding an update from her as to where she's been. I want to know. I want to know. I'm going to go down that rabbit hole. I, I have to close it because I'm not paying attention to anything. Well, you can go down the rabbit hole because we're almost done. Yes. Please buy tickets to our live show at badonpaperpodcast.com slash live. Join our Facebook group for more book recs. Give them a five-star rec. Give us a five-star rating. Yeah, rate, review, subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at badonpaperpodcast. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood. My blog is thestripe.com. And this has been a long episode, and we're going to see you next week to talk about three women, which I cannot wait for. I'm so excited to listen to that. Oh, my God. So excited. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.